next. <clears throat> My name is Pastor Joe Davis. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at the Garden. And this week, <clears throat> we're continuing in our church-wide series of the Scripture and taking a look at some of it through Matthew and some other places in the Scripture, going through the story. And we talked about Moses last week and the Red Sea, and we talked about how grace is irresistible, about how God put the children of Israel between the rock, which is Jesus, and a hard place. Today we're going to be talking about the law and how the law God gave to Moses works together with God's covenant of grace. And specifically what we're talking about <clears throat> is the time in history where God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. I'm going to read a passage to you. There's a lot of scripture today I'm going to try to get through, but I've narrowed some of it down. In Exodus 19, verses 3 through 7, while Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mouth and saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and to all the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words as the Lord had commanded him. And later on, and we see in Exodus 19 and 20, he talks about the Ten Commandments. We're going to go through that in just a minute. But what is the law? And what is the purpose of the law? See, if the covenant with Abraham was unconditional, based upon grace, then why in the world did God give the Israelites the law? <clears throat> Genesis, uh, uh, Galatians 3.19, it says, Why then the law? It was added because of sin until the offspring, which is Jesus, should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. We're going to talk about that word offspring in a little bit. But we're going to talk about the purpose of the law. And so I'm going to give you a couple of things to understand about why God saw fit to give the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel. The first thing is that the law, the Ten Commandments, define depravity. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 23, there is an exhaustive and thorough list of things that God gave to Moses to give to the children of Israel. Remember, this is after they'd come out of Egypt, they'd been led out, and the Red Sea had parted, they'd come from slavery, and now they're a free people, and God is, is their God. And basically the first thing he says is the Ten Commandments. You know, the ones that you guys all keep perfectly. I was talking to somebody this week about, I said, I'm preaching on the Ten Commandments, and they said, well, I haven't committed adultery, but I might have lied. That made everybody uncomfortable for some reason. I'm not sure why. <laughs> That's what the law does, right? It makes you uncomfortable. Well, but that's, that's kind of how we approach the law. Well, there are also laws not just about the Ten Commandments, but there are laws about worship. <clears throat> there are laws about how to handle debt <clears throat> and slavery. There are laws about restitution and personal responsibility. There were laws about social justice and civil morality. 
And there were also laws about Sabbath and certain feast days. And so the law that God gave Moses to give to the children of Israel was very exhaustive. It was very thorough. And it encompassed just about every part of life. So the first thing that the law does through these different areas is it defines depravity. Now, by the way, depravity is anything in your life that is short of good enough. That's what depravity is. Anything in your life that is short of righteousness. Anything in your life that is short of perfection is depravity. So the first thing the law does, and we saw this in Exodus chapter 20 uh, through chapter 23, is the law defines depravity. And then something else the law does is it reveals depravity. You guys have heard me often say that the best teacher of the Bible is the Bible itself. And in reality, Matthew chapter 5, particularly on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus explains what the true spirit of the law was. The law was not intended to demand cons uh, consistency. It was demanded uh, created to demand perfection. So let me explain to you what I mean. Jesus set out in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, look, you've heard it said among many, th many times, thou shalt not do this, but I tell you the standard is even higher. And what Jesus explains in the Sermon on the Mount through the Beatitudes and through all these other places are, you are not good enough and except you are perfect, even as your heaven, fa heavenly Father is perfect, you will not achieve the kingdom of heaven through the law. Some examples. He says in Matthew chapter 5, 17 through 18, or 17 through 48, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but I came to fulfill them. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And he gives some examples in chapter 5. First one is in verse 21 through 26. He says, you've heard it said, thou shalt not kill. But I'm telling you, you can't even be angry and say you hate someone or insult them with your words. So the first standard is shut your mouth. Don't ever say anything mean or bad to anyone. Then he says, don't even think about it. Verse 27 or 32, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say, if you even look at a woman to lust upon her, you've committed adultery in your heart. Don't even think about adultery. That's the standard. And then the next one. Don't trust yourself. Thou shalt not lie means you shouldn't even take promises that you can't keep. Even if you have good intentions of keeping the promise, he says, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. And he explains later on, you can't even trust yourself. Verse 37 through 33. And then verse 38 to 42 on the Sermon on the Mount. Who are you to judge? You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, that you should be willing, in reality, to give up your eye. Turn the other cheek. Give up your right for justice, for mercy and grace. That's 38 through 42. Who are you to judge? And then, others first, no matter what. You've heard it said you should love your neighbor as yourself. I say you better even love your enemy as yourself. Others first, no matter what. And then, just in case you feel like, well, I'm pretty good at all those, Here's what he says. In case you get close, in case of an emergency of righteousness, break glass. Let me explain what I mean. Just in case you did pretty good with verses 21 through 47, you therefore must be perfect, even as your heavenly Father 
is perfect. So you can see that Jesus was teaching that those things and those people that felt like they could achieve a relationship with Heavenly Dad through their spirituality, through keeping of the law, they really didn't understand what the purpose of the law was. The purpose of the law wasn't to encourage consistency. The purpose of the law was to demand perfection, not just in your actions, but in your thoughts and in your words and how you treated every person around you. Depressed much? <laughs> well, we're not done. We understand the law defines depravity. It also reveals depravity, and then it also condemns depravity. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 through 11, and Galatians 3, 10 through 11, let me read a couple of passages to you. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, now we know that the law is good, if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and the profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God which I have been entrusted. And in Galatians chapter 3, 10 and 11, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written, all things written, all things written in the book of the law and do them all. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous live by faith. Again, what is a faith? We've talked about this before. It's a what? It's a gift. It's not something achieved. It's something given. So, we understand that the law defines depravity, it reveals depravity, and it condemns depravity, However, it cannot eliminate it, it cannot remove it, and it cannot redeem it. Do you understand that? The law's job is to point out you aren't good enough. You do not measure up. You do not have the ability to please Heavenly Dad on your own with your life, with your words, with your actions, how you treat others, with your thoughts. Nothing you can do can please Heavenly Dad according to the law, which has defined you, it has revealed you, and it has condemned you. So the law cannot eliminate, remove, or redeem depravity. That is where the law hands off the rest of the work of God's covenant to grace, to Jesus, to the cross. This is how the covenant works. There are two sides to the unconditional covenant with Abraham and us. The first side is the law. The second side is the work done by grace. You see, the law creates what we call in Reformed theology total depravity. total depravity. And once we understand, once we really understand what the depths of the word total means, 
And what the definition of the word depravity means, we understand that in fact, when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to walking with Heavenly Dad, when it comes to being connected to the Father, we are helpless. <clears throat> so what is the purpose of grace? We're going to look through Galatians chapter 3 this morning in a couple of different places. But I want to start right with this, right? This is from my journal from a few years ago, probably 20 years ago, when I was doing a study of this. Without the law, we really wouldn't, we wouldn't really know just how hopeless we are without Jesus and how dependent we are on God doing his part to keep his covenant with Abraham through Jesus with us. So without the law, let me see if I can explain it this way. Without the law, we wouldn't really be able to experience much joy in worship. Without the law, we wouldn't really be able to experience much of that freedom and that rejoicing that comes with redemption. Without the law, we really wouldn't experience the love of God that comes through forgiveness and restoration. So in reality, the law defining and condemning and revealing our depravity is a crucial part of enjoying God's grace. Here's another quote from my friend. is a friend of mine. Um, well, I haven't talked to him for years. He's too big for me now, but he pastors a really big church down in Fort Lauderdale, and uh, he's actually Billy Graham's grandson, um, Tullian Chavidian. He just wrote a book recently called One Way Love. When we rush past the law to get to grace, the law has not yet had a chance to do its deep, wrecking work. The gospel is not given a chance to do its deep, restorative work. Does that make sense? Until we are wrecked by the law, we really can't understand the restoration of grace. But see, the important thing for us to understand is that Jesus is the focus of this. I'm going to read this passage to you. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. And look what Paul says. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterwards does not annul the covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. There's not a conflict here. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring, which is Jesus, should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. You see, there is no contradiction between the law and grace. What we have is full collaboration. One cannot exist without the other inside of the covenant with God and his people. When God fulfills his covenant of grace, his unconditional covenant of grace, the law is crucial to helping us understand 
what grace is, why we need it, and why it was so costly. Because the center point of grace is Jesus on the cross. The center point of redemption is Jesus. The center point of fulfilling the covenant with Abraham is the offspring, singular, Jesus. <clears throat> Look at this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 21 through 26. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture, in other words, the law, imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. And what is faith again? It's a gift. The law condemns. Faith redeems. The law reveals Faith restores. The law defines. Faith and grace cleanse. Look at this part of the passage. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer, get this, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you all are called sons of God through faith. I love the very first song that the band played. Freedom. Because you have to understand something. What the law did for those before Christ and what the law did for us while we were still on our faith journey is the law made it very clear to us, you don't have a chance without Jesus. Yes, the covenant is unconditional. Yes, the promise is secure. And yes, the law came after the promise, but the law does not nullify the promise. The law, in fact, solidifies the promise of grace. Do you see that? Because we couldn't have grace unless we needed grace. And so the law, this intimidating, cold, harsh, judgmental, condemning law held us captive, holding us until grace is made real. That's how grace and the law work together with the covenant. The law kept us helpless so we wouldn't be hopeless. Do you see what I'm saying here? You understand how important it is that you recognize if you want to come to Heavenly Dad, if you want to have a relationship with the Father, if you want to be redeemed, if you want to be restored, if you want to be forgiven, if you want to be cleansed, you have to first come to the point where you realize, I am helpless. Thank you, God, for the law, which showed me just how far away I really am am 
from hope. Thank you, God, for the law which showed me just how depraved I am. Thank you, God, for the law which revealed it, which defined it, which condemned it. And then also, God, thank you that in the midst of that law, you come in and swoop in with this grace, this hope, this redemption, this restoration, this cleansing. And so when we come to God to thank Him and to praise Him for our salvation, in reality, we can begin to see what the psalmist used to always say. The law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is pure. The law of the Lord is good. Yes, it's scary, but without it, we don't know grace. And so in your life with God, you know what you can start doing? God, thank you that the law showed me how helpless I was. Thank you that helplessness led to hopefulness. Isn't that good stuff? The law is awesome. The law is the tutor, the teacher that brings you to Christ. So what 